Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. (laughs) You're going to die, clown! Time now for... Oh, why didn't you just go home? That's your home! Are you too good for your home? Overreaction Monday! You're gonna beat me? Then go home. <laughs> I'll eat pieces of shit like you for breakfast. You eat pieces of shit for breakfast? Here's Pat, Pete, and Dan. Uh, welcome to the Overreaction Monday edition of the pod. It's the first time we are doing this without all the games being played yet. Our traditional Sunday morning on the East Coast does not account for UCLA Cal, which is being played noon Eastern time, 9 a.m. in California. Cal's the last one in the pool that's actually going to play. Last team that's going to play in the fall that kicks off first game. Uh, Randy Edsel might be cooking something up. You don't know that. <laughs> you don't know that. You don't know slide that. a few bonuses in in November. Do not make definitive comments. In 2020, I've learned. Um, Yeah, Cal, welcome. Uh, When you do kick off, haven't kicked off yet, but you're about to. So uh, we're going to get to this because I actually thought it was, this is what they, I I argued this a long time ago, like flex schedules. We don't know who you're playing two weeks out, even one week out, because you got to work this. Uh, I I do believe my system would have worked better if we'd started early, had tons of off weeks, got as many games in when you can, and go, but that is what we're doing. So kudos to the Pac-12 that is just said, "Hey, screw it. You guys want to play? Play. Uh, if you don't, that's your problem. We cannot cannot just keep having all these postponements or cancellations. We don't know what to do. So we'll get to the Pac-12. But first, uh, we love to focus on the miserable, and there is a lot of misery as oh, usual boy. in the Big Ten. And it is as Sully coined the phrase: uh, "This league is upside down." There is joy in Indiana. There is joy and possibility at Northwestern. And there is garbage, burning garbage in Penn State and Michigan. We will start with Michigan, but don't worry, Nittany Lions, we're getting to you. The first quarter last night in Ann Arbor, which Wisconsin came in and absolutely housed Michigan, was as devastatingly depressing as I've ever seen uh, it get. I mean, Joe Milton, the savior quarterback throwing not just in, not just interceptions, but literally just right at linebackers who aren't even covering anybody. That might've been the worst pick you'll ever see. No heart from the Wolverines, no run game. Nothing. This is nothing. Michigan is awful. 
they have quit on Jim Harbaugh. People are talking about what like the, the debate starts getting real nuanced, and we will get nuanced. If he did a little better job recruiting in Ohio, or look at Michigan has got players. They get a top 10 class. They have a number seven class coming in. They have players to compete, if not beat Wisconsin. They may not be able to beat Ohio State, but they have as good of recruits as Notre Dame. They have better players than a lot of these teams, and they are getting punked. This is coaching. This is, you know, this is Tennessee the last 10 years-esque, where you just have lots of recruits because it's a great place to go on a Saturday and go, boy, I want to play here. But when you coach them up, they they suck. And that is the most stunning thing because Harbaugh always had great fight out of his teams, always maximized what he could do. Of all his, whatever his faults were, it was not, hey, his team would come out and play with no heart. They are awful. So uh, quick thoughts on Michigan because we've kind of been over this. And I want to get into what I thought last night is it's no longer will Jim Harbaugh be replaced it's when because this can't continue he has one year left on his deal as pete has pointed out many times like at the end of this season you have to make a call you can't send a guy in with one year left on a con his last year of a college football contract you either have to fire him or extend him and i have no idea ward manual could possibly extend jim harbaugh at this point uh without like a, a protest erupting around Shembeckler hall so how bad is it Rich Rodriguez thinks it's terrible. I mean, it's a complete disaster. Complete, total, utter disaster. You look at this season, just this season, and we're throwing out, you know, the the serial embarrassments to Ohio State and the bowl game losses and all the other losses to good teams, and you just look at this season. You beat Minnesota, everybody kind of gets excited. Well, Minnesota turns out maybe the worst team in the Big Ten. Absolutely horrible. You give up 24 in that game. Then you give up 27 to a completely dysfunctional, error-prone offense for Michigan State that you can't force into a single turnover, even though everybody else gets turnovers from them left and right. Then you give up 38 to Indiana, and they just strafe you through the air. Then you give up 49 to Wisconsin, which does everything they want against you, and you just help them because, A, you don't try hard, and, B, you can't do anything right. So 24, 27, 38, 49, you're giving up more points every game. You're losing by more points every game. And, Dan, the word you used before we went on the air here to record said this was a pride game, and they showed no pride whatsoever. So it is over. It's so over that for the rest of the Big Ten, I wrote about this at our top ten last night, beating Michigan doesn't doesn't help you. It doesn't do anything. You're just beating a terrible team. Like, well, you know, there's a lot of people in Indiana, hey, all props to the Hoosiers. But it turns out that your first win over Michigan since 1987, eh, you you beat Ball State. Wisconsin, everybody's going to say, oh, they need to be ranked higher. They just beat Michigan. No, beating Michigan does nothing. Northwestern has better wins by beating Purdue and Maryland. Uh, So, no, it is absolutely as bad as it can get. Uh, Harbaugh's got to go. He will go. I am absolutely certain it's just a matter of when. And then what does Michigan do next? Here's what I thought yesterday. Uh, I'm sitting in the press box at BC Notre Dame. Game's over, and I'm writing my takeaways. And, like, there was just gawking by the uh, assembled media. Oh, they're down 7 nothing. Oh, they're down 14 nothing. Oh, my God, it's 21 nothing. Here, we, you know, the touchdown that Wisconsin scored to make it 28 nothing. It was a 10-yard run up the middle. That was a 4th of July parade 
through the center of Michigan's defense. I think it was Nikia Watson, the, the tailback from, from Wisconsin, did it. He had a caravan. It was like the Secret Service protected him in. And the, the, the lack of effort on that play, I just thought, like, perfectly summed up where Michigan is in the, uh, in the Jim Harbaugh era. I wrote a lot about Harbaugh at Stanford, obviously followed him close at San Francisco, saw what he did at San Diego, you know, was obviously very impressed. Jim Harbaugh's gift, and I remember talking to the old Stanford lineman about it, when he came in and resuscitated them, remember they pulled the their 41-point underdogs, Stanford at USC. He actually inherited like a reasonably talented Stanford team. Like it just wasn't decrepit. And his ability there was to inject a competitive spirit in the team, meaning he could come in and motivate guys to be competitive, to play hard. He had an ability to push buttons, and that ability's gone. Michigan is not playing hard. I think they have a bad staff. I think schematically they're misaligned. I don't think they have an identity. But if you just simply don't play hard, you are going to get blown away. My reaction to Saturday was just not no surprise at all. Remember last year, you know, 13 months ago, they're down 28 nothing to Wisconsin at half and showing no pulse, no heart, no life, right? So one year later, 13 months later, what's better about Michigan? What's different about Michigan? I mean, really nothing. Like, this is exactly where the program was going. And when I called around this right before the season started, I'd usually say this summer, but it probably wasn't summer anymore, to do something on Harbaugh's unusual contract situation. The people around the Big Ten, especially like the recruiting directors at different schools, they, all of them, completely saw this coming. Like, this is, this is absolutely no surprise to them because the lack of identity combined with it was funny, Herb Street hinted at it last night, and, and I've written it. I'm sure other people have written it. They, they're recruiting the Northeast. You cannot compete nationally if, especially on defense where Don Brown is, you are using the Northeast as a primary recruiting base. Can you cherry pick a kid from there every year? Absolutely. Quiddy pays from Rhode Island. He's a first-round pick, sure. But they, they're unintentional and haphazard and I think lazy in recruiting. And when you do that and you start building your roster, if for four years – your recruiting is 15% worse than other teams in the Big Ten after three, four years, and that stacks up, you're really bad. You are all of a sudden five touchdowns worse than Wisconsin. So I, I think this has been, if you've been following closely, fairly predictable because Michigan just isn't very good. There, there, there seems to be no rhyme nor reason to the recruiting, and I think that's certainly part of it. But they are getting players. I know they go all over. I mean, they have the seven, they have 12 four stars committed right now. They are, you can, they're getting really good players in the Northeast. And obviously kids in the Northeast have nowhere to go. They've, it's always been a place you can cherry pick some guys out because there's no school up there that it be, no offense to BC or my beloved New England United, but, and, and kids will go to Michigan, right? You can fly, right? It's not, it's an hour flight from Boston or for our Hartford. They, they have players. I just look, their last five, Years. So that's basically the program. Obviously, some of these guys go pro, but their average recruiting class over the last five years on rivals is ninth. Notre Dame's is 12, 12.5. Their, their systems is a disaster. He has alienated too many coaches with pipeline programs in the state of Michigan. And I, I always think you get a little more pride when kids are locally playing. Penn State has four commitments from, from four star players in Metro Detroit, including Castec and King wow. in Detroit. D wow. Those are powerhouse programs 
in, in if if Michigan only recruited Cast Tech, King, Oak Park, and Belleville, they would be fine. Right, maybe Muskegon. Like if that was the only four five schools in the state of Michigan, they just spent all their time on. You would be pretty good. And if Michigan can't get kids out of Detroit, it's over. Right now, you can sit there and say, "Well, we got this four star from, you know, Connecticut." Well, you know, he better be Aaron Hernandez pre pre uh, pre arrest pre murder. Yeah, <laughs> right. Like he better be really good. So you're just you're just swimming uphill. You're running. You can't swim uphill. Like maybe that's it. If you're not even, I mean, Detroit <laughs> they're so dysfunctional. Is, they're trying to swim uphill instead of even. Castex like thirty minutes away. Right, these schools are thirty. Those, all those schools I talked about are thirty minutes or less from the Ann Arbor campus, and they grow up, and and you can't get them. It's really hard. So, but they do have players. I think what Pete put it out is their ability to play hard. I, I wrote a story once when Harbaugh was at the 49ers about the San Diego team. Jim Harbaugh is on track at that point to go and become like Jim Harbaugh wants to become an offense coordinator somewhere and become an NFL coach. And he decides to take a job at one double a non-scholarship university of San Diego because he doesn't want to be an assistant. And he shows up, and these kids are football players, but they're not getting even scholarship. If you've ever been to USD, it is a gorgeous little campus. That's great. But it's, oh, I mean, it's beautiful, right? But it's up on Linda Vista Road. I mean, beautiful. But you're kind of like, yeah, I play some football, and I surf. You know, like, I, <laughs> this is San Diego. And he shows up and is like, and he, he this is where he coined his phrase, who has it better than us? Remember, yeah. that's his big phrase. Who has it sure. better than us? And he goes house on these kids. And it's like, you better be committed. And and within two years, they have an 11-1 season, 11-1 season. Like he just, and it was like, this guy's crazy, but that's a hell of a coach. A guy that can win at San Diego. That's why I always think Brian Kelly's a great coach. He wanted right. Grand Valley, two titles, yep. right? Yep. This isn't just, well, I'm, I'm just recruit well. He, he took a pile of nothing and won. And so now who's got it better than us? Everybody's got it better than you. Everybody. Everybody. So this this is falling. He's either not trying as hard or he recruited the wrong kids. Even they have high, whatever it is. This is worse than we can't compete with Ohio State. This is we can't even compete in the middle of the pack. And we have got way better players. It, it's all right to lose to Wisconsin. This yeah, was 35, 31. Be, yeah. And you lost. You know, you can look and I think say, OK, some the. Maybe this is right or wrong, but you could theorize that the pandemic and, and all of the uncertainty and the upheaval and players opting out and everything else has broken some teams this year. But for to, 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 to get a total pass on that, you have to have some cachet in the bank. And whether if the pandemic broke Michigan, well, that's fine. But they needed, you know, there was no cachet there anyway for Jim Harbaugh because they had been underperforming for years. So this isn't one you just say, ah, do over. Some other coaches and some other programs could maybe get a do-over. Jim Harbaugh isn't getting a do-over out of this one. All right, so who replaces him? Because at this point, it's it's a matter of time. And this is the, the the shocker. I'll run through names, and we can just you can either thumb up or have a full discussion because some of our pipe dream. I heard from so many Michigan people last night, from very connected to very not connected. The biggest problem they have is they got nobody. Right, last time they were able to go. Well, if we could talk Jim Harbaugh to take the job. Will be good, and I, among everybody else, thought, "Hey, this will probably work. They'll, they'll be pretty good." And they they were pretty good for a while. 
Now it's like, I mean, they're just throwing everything at the wall. Like, what do you know about this guy? What do you know about this guy? Um, so they don't have anyone. So let me let me run through some names and you guys can laugh or not. But the number one most ridiculous name, Urban Meyer. Best coach no, out no. there. <laughs> let, let me just say this. Urban Meyer has a bar that he owns with the title of the bar, Urban Meyer's seven and zero pint house is his record <laughs> against Michigan. I don't uh, yeah. think Urban Meyer is going to risk his pint house name to go coach at Michigan. Urban Meyer hates Michigan. It got him out of bed every day for seven years to beat Michigan. You can tell when they do these segments on Fox how much he delights in Michigan's struggles. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, we'll put that one to bed. Thank you. Yeah, okay. I don't think I don't <laughs> think Urban Meyer is going to go to Anna. To me, if Urban Meyer ever coaches again in college, it's going to be like USC or Texas. It's right. going to be some different yeah. part of the country where yeah. it's like, I can't lose. I don't even think he'd take Notre Dame because it would drive him crazy. So I think, I think we're almost out of options for Urban Meyer. But it's out there, okay? All right, Urban Meyer's loyal assistant and equal hater of Michigan, Luke Fickle at Cincinnati right. would be the uh, ideal candidate if he wasn't such a Buckeye. Now, Bo Schembechler was once a, uh, an Ohio State assistant and then and hated Michigan, the team up north, and was Woody Hayes' assist, best assistant. Is there any way they could talk Luke Fickle into taking the Michigan job, particularly with like $7 million a year? Thoughts on that? Pat? I mean... I would try. I would absolutely try. And, you know, in this ridiculous climate where you can never be seen to turn, be turned down, you'd have to do it through, you know, nine back channels and be super quiet about it. But I would I would absolutely try because I think Luke Vickle is great and he understands the Midwest and he understands the Big Ten. And he would I think he would be successful there. Now, would he take it? You know, I don't know. I, I know, you know, Pete said before that, I mean, he is as Buckeye as it gets. You know, people can can also look at their career roadmap and say, okay, Ryan Day is going to stay at Ohio State for how long? 20, 30 years if he wants. Now, maybe he wants to go to the NFL, but he's probably not going anywhere but the NFL from there. So if I'm Luke Fickle, my dream job, I'm not getting. I had it once for a year as an interim. They didn't keep me or, you know, I didn't keep to get the job. I need to move on from Ohio State. So if I'm going to move on from Ohio State and Michigan wants me in an area of the country that I can win in, I would listen if I were him. Now, Woody, I don't know, but if, but I, I think he should listen. Well, here's the thing. Do I think in a vacuum Luke Fickle would take the Michigan job? I don't think so. I mean, he was born in Columbus, played at Ohio State. He's never actually lived outside the state of Ohio. He went to Akron for one or two seasons to be an assistant very early in his career, post kind of... GA, uh, pre-getting hired as an assistant at Ohio State. I mean, that's a guy, Luke Fickle was like, if you want, if, if anyone at the pod wants some entertainment while they're listening, Google Luke Fickle's wrestling highlights from high school. He was like 103 and zero in his senior year. He pinned everybody in like the first minute. I mean, he's Luke Fickle is a guy who like stares directly at the enemy in front of him and defeats that enemy. And for Luke Fickle, his entire life, Michigan has been that enemy. So and Luke is wired in such a way like Luke is not a phony person. He is an everyday person. And I don't know. That said, when when 50 million is staring at you under your nose and a top 15 job is staring at you under your nose, those some of those principles can be misaligned. But do I think Luke Fickle would take the Michigan job? I do not think he would. I do not think he would. 
eventually he has to leave a state of Ohio. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. But he can't I, stay I, there I was, forever if Ohio State's I, but never going to open. I agree with Pete, but I'm just saying. Go ahead, Pete. Yeah. And I, I think this, I wrote this uh, on Yahoo before the season. Luke Fickle does not see himself as being trapped at Cincinnati. All right. They, they're paying him over three million dollars a year. He loves recruiting Ohio. He has built a powerhouse program. He has Marcus Freeman there as D.C. played for him. He's a close friend. He has kind of his guys. Brady Collins, a strength coach like his core is there. The danger staying at one of those mid-major jobs too long is that Marcus Freeman turned down a very lucrative offer to be Mel Tucker's D.C. at Michigan State. Um, you know, Gino Gadouli on offense, uh, the old Cincinnati quarterback is a sharp young assistant coach. Uh, they lost their corners coach last year to Notre Dame. Like eventually people are going to come and pick your talent and you can't pay the rest of the talent. And so I really think Luke Fickle has to realize that crossroads is coming. But when Luke Fickle kind of said to me, I look at what Gary Patterson did at TCU and I can see myself doing that. I believe him because he is not just going to go chase a paycheck. I mean, he didn't leave Ohio State for a lot of years, and there were a lot of jobs. And he, quite frankly, didn't even talk to a lot of people. I have really good jobs because he's like, well, i got to go recruit this kid in Virginia Beach. Like, he just – he never has showed a lot of interest in the carousel, job openings, et cetera. So I, he is not wired to be upwardly mobile like many in that profession are. Right. But – Here's the thing, and I i mean, what you're saying could be completely valid, but I also think when you go 11-0 this year at Cincinnati and you don't get a sniff of the playoff and you want to win at the highest level, and as you said, you're 103-0 as a wrestler and you want to beat all comers, well, you don't get the chance to even play all comers when you're at Cincinnati, that's when I think people start looking around and saying, yeah, I, I, need, a, I need a chance to win it all. And that's one thing now, at least Gary Patterson is in TCU is in a conference where theoretically you can't, even though they got screwed kind of in 2014. But anyway, that's my thought there. But they were able to get themselves into that that right. league in part because of Gary yeah. Patterson. Uh, the thing is, if he wants to stay in the Midwest, there's Penn State, which does not. Uh, we'll get to you, Penn State, but they don't appear. They're not going to have an opening real quick. There's Ryan Day. Well, that's the NFL calls. There's Notre Dame, Brian Kelly. I don't know how many more years. Then there's, I mean, chasing a paycheck is taking the Purdue job, right? Something like that where you're up. Yeah. Michigan he Stadium. He didn't do is, that last year with Michigan State. Right. right. Could have gone to Michigan State. 40 minutes from Michigan Stadium to the Ohio border. He can run down to get Fricker's chicken for lunch in Toledo, <laughs> Sylvania, Ohio, or something like that. I know. I don't know. I don't think he takes it either. But next up on the list, Bob's, uh, not, well, we'll do both. Either of the Stoops brothers. Bob or Mark, can you lure Bob Stoops out of retirement? He did try to coach the XFL. Didn't work out too well because of, of COVID. Or Mark Stoops, who is at Kentucky, has done an amazing job recruiting Michigan and Ohio. Would there be anything of that? Would those guys fit? Uh, I don't know. I, I would be buyer beware probably on both of them. Bob Stoops is awesome. He was, I mean, he was really, really good for a long time at Oklahoma. He seems, I think, I thought he got tired of, I don't want to call it the rat race, but just the, everything that goes into coaching in college, you know? Doesn't mean he's, he may be getting the itch to come back, but I haven't seen it other than, you know, he's going to do the XFL, but the XFL, you don't recruit. You don't worry about their academics. You don't worry about your phone ringing on Saturday night at 2 a.m. What happened on campus? You know, that sort of thing. I, I, I don't, I, my feeling is that Stoops was tired of that stuff and getting away from it. He might say, eh, I don't, I don't want to go back to that. 
especially in an area where you've got to go compete against Ohio State. Now, he's a competitor. He probably wouldn't run from that challenge, but I don't know. And then Mark Stoops, well, yes, I mean, the point there that he has recruited the heck out of Michigan and Ohio and the Midwest. His success has been good. I don't see him going up and and beating Ohio State. You know, I don't see him as this this phenom of a coach who's who's got the big brain, the big creativity, the offensive acumen. Uh, you know, he's had how many years to try to build an offense at Kentucky without doing it? So I just I don't think that you you get him and say now we can beat Ohio State. I feel like Mark Stoops is at the perfect job to pull an underachiever up and get it mediocre. Uh, I don't think we've seen anything about Mark Stoops' tenure that says this guy can go to a blue blood, put the throttle down, really in an area – he has recruited Ohio a lot, but like really in an area that's not really native to him and and go – you have to you have to bring someone in that can topple this Ohio State juggernaut. I just – I don't – I don't see – I think Mark Stoops would be fine. I think he'd be good, but I don't think he could do that. And Bob, like if you can get Bob Stoops, I must think you have to hire him, but – I really feel like you need young and you need energy there. Like you need you need new blood. You need to kind of rebrand what Michigan football is. And I don't think Bob Stoops would be like like he's 60. He'd probably have five good years in him. I think you need to look for a little bit of a longer term solution than that. Bob would be, I think, a place setter of like we're going to be really competent again. And then hopefully yeah. somebody emerges, you know, a Mike Hart who's you know, former player that's that's as an assistant at Indiana is really he always said I he said when he's a player, I want to be the head coach at Michigan. Right. M- maybe Mike Hart continues to develop to that level, gets a Mac job, something like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then in five years, six years. Yeah, you can you can hand it off or he becomes the OC at Michigan. I don't know. Something like that. Again, this is the problem. Nobody here. So let's keep going quickly. P.J. Fleck. Undefeated season at Western Michigan. He's done good work at Minnesota. They're absolutely horrible this year. And he is a running cliche that makes people cringe. He's a cliche (laughs) machine. However, very good coach, but this year is awful. Has this year ruined his chances? I mean, look, if they're 4-0 right now, right, this thing, this is like, then everyone in Michigan's going, where's, get the truck, let's drive it up there, let's Brinks truck it up there. I think P.J. Fleck gives Michigan some of the juice it has lacked. But I think... Michigan's institutional ego would not allow them to hire PJ Fleck. Cause if you're hiring PJ Fleck, you are, he leans in now and you, you have to take some of your institutional program identity and blend it with his identity. And I don't know how comfortable Michigan would be doing that. They have been proudly stayed for a very, very long time at, at Michigan. But I, I will say this early on in PJ's tenure at Western, I did a uh, story for Sports Illustrated where I drove around with him for a day and went recruiting in uh, in the Detroit area. The high school coaches there loved P.J. Fleck. They loved him. He, if you are trying to build a mousetrap to dethrone this Ohio State run, P.J. Fleck gives you a very good chance to do that because he will recruit. He will. He expends a majority of his energy on recruiting and connection. Two things badly missing because Harbaugh is aloof and weird. Fleck will be absolutely relentless and kids like pj fleck like recruits connect to that it would be minnesota's bad this year there's no two ways around that um so it would be a leap of 
of something that I don't think Michigan institutionally would allow itself to do. Now, if they were coming off 11 and two, like they were last year, um, it's there. But I, I'm a believer in PJ Fleck because I'm a believer in results. And if you go undefeated at Western Michigan, historically good season, and then you have a once in century season at Minnesota, like you cannot argue with those results. It'd be hard, just maybe, just in the narrow term, to say our worst team in decades beat the crap out of that team, and we're going to hire that guy. <laughs> you know, I mean, the the recency bias is is clear here, but. I mean, Mike, I mean, Minnesota is so bad this year and maybe they have the COVID excuse. Maybe COVID broke them, the pandemic, you know, and you you do look at PJ's record and say, OK, this is an anomaly to be, you know. But th- I mean, the way they look right now, they ain't winning another game. I mean, maybe they'll they'll slip into one somewhere. But holy cow, they're bad. I, I, I mean, I agree. I think that he gives them the chance in a, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, if but he's got to have a good staff around him. And I think he's got to have a a built up base of players. I don't I'm not sure he comes in waves a magic wand and turns a dysfunctional team into a highly functional team right away. So, I don't know. That he he would be on the list for sure, but I, some he would have to sit down in an interview and explain to me say, "PJ, what happened in 2020?" So, I think one of the things you always got to look for in, in anything in life and business particularly is market inefficiency. And I think recency bias is a massive market inefficiency in sports. Right. And so this is bad year for PJ Fleck, no question. And but it, it's like the timing. You know, you know who's having a bad year in football, coaching football this year? Bill Belichick. Okay. So it it, it can't I'm not saying hire PJ Fleck, but man, if you're just hung up on, oh, they suck this year, he he's not any good. Wait him wait, you know, hold on now. The guy went twelve and oh against uh at, at Western. All right, couple more. Uh, let's go quick. I don't want to turn this off, although we're end up talking about all these other schools. I don't want to turn this into a Michigan podcast. David Shaw seems to have kind of just a, another recency bias one. Let's do this. Let's make this two sentences. But I, I think all of us agree one of the single most impressive people in all of college football, a Michigan man of era, like th- that, that I don't want to call it arrogant, but there is a arrogance to the way he talks, right? That where well, we do things right there. However, he's also a Harbaugh guy. Worked under Harbaugh, worked under his brother, a lot of Harbaugh. David Shaw is a hell of a coach who's sitting there going, eh, maybe this just Stanford, we just can't win 10 every year. Quick thoughts on him. Really, really like him. And I think, yes, what you're getting to as far as he, would he fit Michigan and what Michigan wants to be to a T. The only thing, I, and this isn't so much recency bias, is this is a fairly extended Period of declining results, I see from them. Okay, not you would win ten every year. Well, they won nine in twenty seventeen. They won nine in twenty eighteen. They won four last year. They have won zero this year. P- players are leaving in droves. Transfer portal is full of Stanford players. Something's not working there. Uh, maybe he does need. Maybe he needs to hit the refresh button, go somewhere else, and he would be great at Michigan. I I would certainly want to take. A hard, a long look under the hood um, on da- on David Shaw if I were Michigan, but I wouldn't say slam dunk, which is the problem, of course, with every name we're coming up with. There are no slam dunks. Uh, fun fact: David Shaw and Harbaugh do not really get along very well. He is accustomed to going in and cleaning up like Harbaugh's weirdness and reconnecting with administrators and people at Harbaugh alienated. That said, David Shaw ain't going to Michigan. He's just not going to go. He if he went anywhere, he'd go to the NFL. He's Stanford or. Or bust. Um, I just I don't think he would really entertain it. Okay, one more that's a debate. Chris Peterson, re- currently retired, 
obviously hell of a coach. Um, he's sitting out at Washington, does a does a Michigan. Uh, Chris Peterson's always been fascinating. He would have had the USC job at one point. Didn't want it. Could have had any job when he was at Boise. You know, the one thing about Chris Peterson is that he never loved recruiting. Like, in fact, he was pretty open about how he didn't like the sort of ass kissing and the the just pandering to to sophomores that recruiting requires. And he was very vocal about that. If you are going to go there and resuscitate that thing, you better love to recruit. Chris Peterson wisely, I think, stayed in that Pacific Northwest quadrant. He's from Northern California, you know, pretty much coached in that area his entire career. I don't think introducing him to a new area with his delineation of not really pounding the pavement and recruiting, I, I don't think that is a winning formula. Yep, agreed. Fit. Um, and he's not a fit there. Uh, he was a fit in the Northwest and a fit in the West Coast. And another guy who I think may end up like Stoops, and if he's out another year or two, he might be like, why would I ever go back? I'm, I, I don't need this, you know. All right, then you have your... Matt Campbell at Iowa State, I assume he would probably take it. You know, if I was doing a list right now, I would put Matt Campbell first. Had a lot of success at Toledo. He was 31 when he was the head coach there. Beloved by high school coaches. Kind of fits that, like, mold of genuine connection that that we uh that we've come to uh come to expect there would he actually take it i don't know he's had a lot of chances now to uh to leave nfl opportunities have uh, have come for matt campbell um he does genuinely love being at iowa state like absolutely loves it and he's the kind of guy who's done it his way his staff is not like some all-star staff. It's all Mount Union guys, Toledo guys, BG guys, guys he's been with at different phases of his career. He's not just going to go hire like the million-dollar star coordinator because you're supposed to. So he is – I think we're going to see a lot of Matt Campbell in our in our college football lives the next few weeks, and I think it's I think it's good. It's compelling. Look, if you can get Iowa State to the brink of a Big 12 title, you have clearly done something right, something unique. So he's he is high on the intrigue list there. All right. That concludes today's Michigan Roundup. <laughs> Although we end up talking about the other schools. I don't want to, I mean, it's a fascinating job, obviously, and fascinating situation. And they canceled the SEC pretty much this week. All right. Uh, the other Big Ten misery we'll get to. Penn State, 0-4. Absolutely horrible. Yesterday's loss to Nebraska, I watch. I am not a Penn State fan. I'm not really a fan of any of these teams. If I was a Penn State fan, I would have been drinking all early afternoon. That is the most frustrating team to watch. They consistently got to the red zone. Nate Bauer, uh, uh, Blue and White Illustrated, great uh, stat. They were Penn State at 25 plays in the red zone that weren't field goal attempts. It scored one touchdown. It, it had a, they have no quarterback play. They kept throwing these fade passes to the corner of the end zone. Those passes work when it's Tom Brady to Rob Gronkowski. You have neither. Stop throwing it. Absolutely should have beat Nebraska. Good on Nebraska getting the win. They they gutted it out. This was like, I don't know what this was. It's like a post-apocalyptic, uh, whatever that phrase is. <laughs> Post-apocalyptic. Apocalyptic game where you're like, boy, look at these two uniforms. This is going to be a good game. And you're like, good <laughs> God, what is this? <laughs> Penn State is 0-4. Now, there's no hot seat here, but what a disaster. What is going on with the Nittany Lions, Pat? Ah, uh, I mean, that was I did watch a lot of the game just because it was close. And so I kind of got pulled in, especially the second half of Indiana, Michigan State kind of sucked. So 
I was pulled in just to see if Penn State could make this comeback. And I mean, the, the red zone stuff was absolute malpractice. I mean, it was 100% malpractice. And you said they don't have Brady or Gronkowski. They kind of have Gronkowski on a college level. They got Pat Fryermuth, who's an incredibly good tight end. He's going to be a high draft pick. He's 6'5", 260. He can go up over people. Do they throw fades to Pat Fryermuth? No. They throw them to Jahan Dotson, a fine player who's also 5'11". You've got a quarterback who has very little touch throwing to a 5'11 wide receiver when you're trying to drop a ball in a bucket from 25 yards away into the corner of the end zone. It was the dumbest thing I have ever seen. Did They they tried a couple of throws to Fryermuth, but they were like out patterns. They were not anywhere where he could use his size to his advantage. One possession they were down there. They ran it in the A-gap three straight plays. It's like, are you going to try anything else? The next possession... Four straight plays, low percentage passes. Incomplete, 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 incomplete. And then the last possession in the red zone, they were incomplete, low percentage pass, incomplete, low percentage pass. Oh, let's try a quarterback draw because we got a quarterback who can run. But it's third and 10, dropped for a three-yard loss, then an incomplete pass. I mean, it was terrible. Kirk Soraka, who was brought in from Minnesota, uh, I thought it was a very good hire. A lot of other people did, too. He did great work there, but it is not working at Penn State. Fryer moved that one big play, like a like a 70-yarder. You know it's bad when Penn State fans are applauding Will Levis. And, you know, I hate picking on players. I really do. But he went 14 of 31. <laughs> right, yeah. <laughs> like, like, that's, you know, quarterback controversy. Like, oh, okay, you were the backup for a reason. Um yeah, it, it, they, you're right. They were kept throwing to the smaller guy. It was just this was ridiculous, and it's it's just a bad team. And uh, you know, Penn State never is zero four. It's a fair question to say what's the difference between Harbaugh right now and Franklin right now, right? And I feel like Franklin has earned a mulligan year. If you go and you you look at their last four years, uh, he's won eleven in three of them: Rose Bowl, Fiesta Bowl, Citrus Bowl, Cotton Bowl. So his bad year was nine and four. So think about this. They already have as many losses as they've had in the last five seasons, four seasons, I guess. So they just gave Franklin a giant new deal. I think he's through 25. He's making seven, eight million once you once you do it all up. Most of that's guaranteed. So that like it's a pipe dream to fire him because it would be a $30 million plus deal. I think the from the big picture at Penn State to think Franklin's done is he's killed his NFL market. He would have had a really good NFL market. Remember, he interviewed for the Texans job when Bill O'Brien got it when he was at Vanderbilt. And he left a really good impression on them. So I think if you really take a look at the big picture ramifications around the coaching job at Penn State is if they were just okay this year, James Franklin could have gone. But if you want to get an NFL franchise excited, you can't come from a flatlined program. And they are like completely flatlined right now. I feel like James Franklin has done enough to like show he is capable of turning this around. He's a capable recruiter. Remember, we're transitioning to an era where we're going to start allowing one-time transfers. So you're going to be able to address weaknesses. You're going to be able to essentially recruit the Mac to fill in blanks. The places like Penn State are really going to benefit from this because if you if you put out the bad signal that you need a left guard, you're going to have guys from, you know, Bowling Green. Or, like, you're going to have the best on other levels fighting to go take that left guard spot. And I really think 
we are going to see college football almost become more top heavy in the upcoming years because of that. So Penn State is bad, but I am going to give them the benefit of the doubt. It's an anomaly. They obviously need a new quarterback. Sirocco has been very good. He's put in good work the last seven years, all these years at Western, all the years in Minnesota. Something is clearly off here. Clifford has regressed. I think there's issues at Penn State. I don't think it's like systemic. You need to blow it up issues. They will um, presumably do a little better from here on out. We will see. Iowa's playing very well. They get Michigan, Rutgers, and they get Michigan State late. So certainly three wins. You know, we'll see. A little bit of this has been stacked up. I mean, they started, there's no excuses, but they started with Indiana, Ohio State, Maryland, and Nebraska. I mean, I don't know. This is you can't be on for, but I agree. There's no hot seat for James Franklin. He is the right guy there. All right, let's get to the SEC and uh, just quickly on Florida. I thought they looked absolutely fantastic uh, Saturday night against Arkansas, which is a quality team. Kyle Trask, uh, six TDs. He was 23 of 29 for 356 yards. They're rolling. Uh, he now has more uh, uh, touchdown through six games than Joe Burrow had last year. He's got 28. Uh, is They got the loss to Texas A&M. It's a close game. is at Texas A&M. But how much did you see out of Florida that makes you think this is a team that can beat Alabama? Yeah, it's got, I mean, it would be a heck of an entertaining game. It would be a shootout, I think, both incredibly high-powered offenses, both with enough defensive suspectness that that I think it would be points aplenty. Uh, they, they, yeah, they could play with Alabama. I do. I'm not sure they could beat Alabama, but they could play with them. The interesting thing to me, guys, is, <clears throat> again, having put together our top 10, can you put Florida ahead of Texas A&M? In a shortened season, head-to-head really has to matter, and you can't take a lot of non- conference there is no non-conference especially in the sec to to add in or whack factor in like well texas sam didn't play anybody out of conference and florida did so i i i, I think florida is probably better than AM, but they weren't on the day that it mattered when they played against them so i would still put AM ahead of them uh it's i think it's a, tr- a sticky one for the committee if it gets down to a a one loss or second best uh sec team now Florida could take care of that in an SEC championship game by beating Alabama. So that may be obviated down the line, but it's an interesting conversation or exercise right now. Yeah, I think an interesting one too, Pat, when we when we go down the line with with Florida is is one loss Florida with their loss at AM with a win over Alabama better than maybe a one loss Notre Dame if they lose the rematch to Clemson in the title game. Like you want to sure. you know, yeah. like Notre Dame has the better loss. Like I would think Notre Dame, you know, gets in on that, but that will certainly, boy, what a blow that would be to the SEC identity, huh? Uh, There would be some hurting folks in Birmingham if, uh, if, if that scenario, uh, if that scenario played out. Yeah. I think Florida really good. Obviously Arkansas didn't have Sam Pittman. He really seems like he's been the heartbeat of that program. I expected Florida to win. I think we all picked Florida and maybe not Dan. No, no, Dan must've, no, Dan. uh, Oh, Dan I'm Dan six and zero, oh, baby. And oh. We're getting yeah. to that. Yeah, yeah. can't well, believe it took us took you this long to bring that. That's yes. amazing. Yeah. Yes, yeah. We we all love what Arkansas has done this year. I, I do think at a certain point, like the atrophy of a program like that, 
with a new coach, with all the people who transferred out, et cetera, is gonna is gonna catch up to them. But props to Florida did it without Kyle Pitts too, you know, uh, yeah. who's obviously been there, uh, who's just been a giant, uh, larger than life guy for them this year. But Dan Mullen made it sound like he could be out a couple weeks too. So, you know, and if you don't play, that's that's an interesting one, right? Kyle Pitts is a top ten NFL draft pick, and he obviously took a severe illegal hit to the head. Right. The exact kind of thing like why guys opted out this year. Like, do you come back and play Alabama in the in the SEC title game or do you let your head rat? Like that's you know, these are these are difficult, difficult decisions for uh, for really, really high end players like Pitts. Yeah. And concussions are impossible to, you know, it's a brain injury. It's not a he's got a he's got a high ankle sprain. Give him a month. You don't know. You know, it could be it could be months. And yeah, does he return to me, Florida and Texas A&M? This is now going to be a month of style points. Florida's got Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Tennessee and LSU. And I think you're trying to rack them up uh, to to make your case. And Texas A&M has got uh, Mississippi, LSU and Tennessee. Then they also have a really big game against Auburn. Uh, which I think is the quality of those three, but you know, like Mississippi State, Mississippi's defense is terrible. Like you gotta, you've got to pedal to the floor to make your case for those two clubs. Um, and and obviously A and M's got no out route here. They don't have Bama again. They uh, what happens uh, there? The other one, the the Ole Miss uh, game versus South Carolina, fifty nine forty two, highly entertaining. Unless you like defense, the play of the game was was Lane Kiffin. There was a Ole Miss player wide open on a deep ball. I mean, wide open, and he's waving and screaming to throw it to him. They throw it. He then takes his clipboard, throws it. Maybe the farthest a clipboard's ever been thrown. Do we have a Guinness <laughs> record on this? It ends up in the stands. Like a guy had a guy in the <laughs> staff had to go get it. He runs down the sideline like the old was he a cornerback at Fresno? Is no, it a was. backup quarterback? Quarterback, yeah. yeah. Okay, he's it all offense all the time, man. That's quarterback yeah. wheels. No way. Get some wheels. Defense. Got down the side, and then of course went to social media to celebrate his his viral moment. I feel like he's literally coaching these games for viral medium, like viral moments <laughs> half the time, right? I don't know. Thought, <laughs> thoughts on the clipboard throw? Gets us to talk about him. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the, the, the clipboard becomes part of the, the the Lane Kiffin lore, I guess. And to me, it's just this is part and parcel of. A guy that gets so excited about scoring points. And eh, if you give up 50, whatever, fine, fine. But are we going to score the next time we get the ball? That's all he cares about. And maybe that's the way the attitude you should have when you're rebuilding a bad uh, uh, organization right now. But, uh, you know, this is just, this is a guy, people thought Spurrier only cared about one side of the ball. Lane Kiffin really, right now at least, only cares about one side of the ball. Yeah, well, he had a couple of these viral moments at Alabama where he'd do this on because he saw the matchup and knew the coverage and knew that a touchdown was uh, w- was coming. And they are quintessential Lane Kiffin uh, fun. On the other side of that sideline on Saturday was Will Muschamp, who, boy, I really think they're going to blow through all the COVID stop signs and uh, and fire Will Muschamp. That that really feels like it's coming and perhaps uh, you know perhaps justified because Will Muschamp never should have been hired as an SEC head coach. If you, it was a little bit like Mark Richt being hired at Miami. If you can't maximize Georgia. You're not going to go to a more difficult job and maximize it. If you can't figure out Florida, you certainly are going to have a much harder time figuring out South Carolina. And that's exactly what's happened there. If there's any argument to keep Will Muschamp in South Carolina, giving up 50 week after week is really not going to accentuate that argument. Will Muschamp is the epitome of what there's all these coaches in America banging their head against the wall, including many, many 
African American coaches. I don't I don't blame this on Will Muschamp. He just does his job and gets hired. But who sit there and go, how did this guy? He was the coach in waiting at Texas. He had the Texas job if he wanted it. Then chose Florida. Then got bailed out with South Carolina. And there's all these guys sitting around going, what the hell? What exactly is anyone seeing in this? I you was know? just going to say the exact same thing. That you talk to coaches and they're like, you know, I, I can't get a sniff and that guy gets another job. Yeah. Texas, Florida, South Carolina. Now, he never took the Texas job, but somebody thought, this is the guy we have to lock up. On what basis have we seen anything? And so, and then he'll probably end up at like Conference USA in like a year, two years or something like that. I mean, he's made a fortune and there are their coaches going, I, I don't, I don't get it. Right. I don't get it. But I don't blame him. I don't want to make it a a, a thing that he's got to apologize for it. Look, no. you take the jobs you're offered and take the money yeah. they're giving you. Good for you. But exactly what is, is anyone thinking out of this? And it's not even like he's this, I mean, even like Lane Kiffin, like at least it's fun. at least it's fun the the coaching search that yielded will muschamp will long be remembered in industry lore for they flew rich rodriguez there from tucson and coach yeah right like like fans saw him at the airport so you know it's a really deftly run search a real professional job (laughs) rich rodriguez he's one of the 15 most recognizable coaches in college football at that time and you you know tucson to to columbia you're connecting charlotte they met him in charlotte Oh, they met him in Charlotte. Sorry. Yeah. 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 Oh, that's yeah. how they Ain't- threw it off because it's three miles from the South Carolina border. Like, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Ain't no directs from Tucson anywhere. Buck up. Get a, get the guy a plane. Try to keep it discreet. You know, you might as well meet like, him in Dallas. Be, meet be, him in be Dallas. Be running around Come with on. a cowbell saying we're, ma- we're yeah. doing a coaching search. All right. Pac-12. Um, they are sort of going. <laughs> I, I the, the the local restrictions that are on the Pac-12 to me are adding element of difficulty for them getting this thing full in. Uh, they are not playing in 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 southern states. They have all sorts of issues. Uh, let me give quick credit to USC. They've got two games in. They've scored four touchdowns in the final four minutes of of, of the game so far. Yeah. Full yeah. drama for USC. If you're a USC fan, you're like, oh, I've got a lot of drama out of this. Great comeback victory over Arizona after a great comeback victory over Arizona State. Oregon looked uh, great late, uh, put away Washington State, up in Washington State on a cold day. I saw snow snow piles in the end zone of Pullman. Like, oh, God. That's Dirty depressing. snow. Dirty <laughs> snow. really was. Dirty, that, dirty that audition snow. for the Pullman Chamber of Commerce again on Saturday yeah. night. It wasn't even nice snow. It wasn't like, because don't they have some trees in the end zone? They're like, no, it wasn't even like that. I think Reno has that. There's like these trees and you're yeah. like, oh, it's kind of like Lake Tahoe-ish. It might be nice up there. Uh, Reno looks nothing like Lake Tahoe, by the way. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, dirty snow, not good. John Wilner, who's does the best job probably covering the Pac-12, I would say, uh, asked the question, should, should Larry Scott push for the college football playoff delay? And we have talked about this. Like, we are barreling into a wall. Like, you can sit there and go, well, yeah, everything's on schedule. But it's like, how? Right? Like, this is this. Should we delay? And does it take a guy like Larry Scott to say, look, we need to push this thing back because we're not going to get this in? It, it, do you need the foresight or do we wait? And I, the fact the Pac 12 moved this UCLA Cal game and just scheduled them on the fly tells me there is a lot more progressive than I was expecting out of them or a lot more, I don't know, flexible or whatever, reactive. 
can we get this college football playoff pushback or are we going to hold firm on this December 19th date that because I think if major conference commissioners start pushing, I, there might be enough places out there, including the Big Ten, that's going to say, yeah, you know what, we're at risk here with Wisconsin, who's really good. Um, thoughts on that? We'll start with you, Pete. Well, it was interesting. I was at uh, Notre Dame BC Saturday night and uh, spent some time with Jack Swarbrick, who is obviously on the. Uh, I don't know exactly how he called. He's w- with the commissioners. Uh, you yeah, know, the in playoff running. management committee, which is management commissioners, the commissioners plus Swarbrick, yes. right? Thank you yeah. for the uh, college football playoff jargon update. Um, jargon is not my specialty. So he he made it a point uh, on the record to me to say like we need to keep the dates set. Like we need to we need to focus on this. And here's the thing. Like, if you push things back, like, there's no guarantee this wave is going to end. I mean, the, the, the virus numbers are, are spiking, escalating at, at fairly precipitous rates around the country. And so I see the logic in like, saying, like, let's just get this thing home. The, the one thing I got from calling around this week, I wrote a story on Thursday, was we have to be nimble with the bowls here. We can't send metaphorical Ohio State Notre Dame to the Rose Bowl to play in front of an empty stadium. Like, that doesn't make any sense. Like, let's send him to Indy. Let's do that. Now, we, we have talked about the infamous, uh, you know, college football leaders would be the worst yoga students because they are completely inflexible. They just have, then they've been like this for decades and they are like dead set on not changing their inflexibility. I see the arguments for that. I don't think Larry Scott has enough juice to get anything changed. He That guy's clinging to his jobs by, job by his fingernails right now. So, I mean, he may st- he's starting to do things I feel like now just for the optics of doing them. So maybe he comes out and says some stuff publicly to to try to pacify the schools, but he he doesn't have enough teams to to garner enough respect in that room to make any wholesale change. Yeah, I think that there's less a chance of a change of calendar or expansion of the playoff as there is like locations of the games as Pete was alluding to. That I think that there's you know, if if you ask around most of the schools that are in prime playoff contention right now are in the south of the Midwest. And they are not really high on the idea of leaving those areas to go play a game that would be purely for the five o'clock sunset on the West Coast. So, you know, I think there's definitely some discussion of that being flexible in terms of location, which, boy, now you want to talk about upsetting the the college football establishment, that would do it. If you basically just tell the Rose Bowl, no, we're not coming. We're going to play in Atlanta or we're going to play in Indy. That that would be a real shock to the system. But I think there's more of a chance of that than saying, let's just push everything back. Let's get into the NFL playoff territory. And, hey, this probably isn't part of the leader's thinking, but it probably should be. Let's ask for a few more weeks from the athletes who we have basically had on a string since June 8th. Uh, That's a tough one for me. Yeah, Christmas is dead, by the way. That's the feeling I got calling around this week. If you are in the playoff, you ain't going home for Christmas because it's going to break break the bubble. Yeah. Yeah. Um, That's, yeah. That Christmas is Christmas is an endangered species right now. Um, And is it, can anybody at least just say that's a bad thing for the athletes? I mean, I I understand why. And maybe ultimately it's a good thing because you're protecting them from the virus. But you know how much it stinks if you're, I mean, you can't get any time off in December if you're, if you're a college athlete. Ugh. These guys get nothing. And, and th- Pete, we'll talk more about bubble ideas later because this podcast gone long, but the kids aren't good. No one's coming back from Thanksgiving. No. So you're going to have no. empty campuses which sort of become a little bubble, but it's like, oh yeah, that's a long time. 
to be sitting on a college campus with nobody else there. Like, you know, it's one thing to put LeBron James in a damn bubble. He's getting paid $30 million. This is your job. It's like, oh, man. And it's one thing if you're Ohio State or, or Alabama and you got a shot of the title. It's another if you're going to play in the, the you know, Tax Slayer Bowl. <laughs> I wrote that. I wrote the column back in like June or July. Like this is when everyone it started to, to trend that everybody was going to go home November 20th and not come back to like mid-January. And I'm like, I just, I, you know, you're asking a lot of unpaid labor. To, to buy into that. It's, right. I mean, get, it's grim get a free on education campuses. where they can't study for the finals, of course, you know, yeah, so. Right. Yeah. You know what? Like bowl week, like the big reward that's going to come. First of all, if you go to bowl, you're just going to a, a Marriott somewhere and getting locked yeah. on the floor for a day. Mm -hmm. Right. You're, there's no yeah. enjoyment of it. There's no there's no bonus. There's no social bar. You know, it'd be like a better reward than a bowl week is like you can just go out to the bars with your friends <laughs> 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 or you can see your family for Christmas. That's right. a pretty good reward after sort of living this monastic life in college athletics, you know. All right, the handout, and let me say this, Indiana, we're going to talk Indiana, Wisconsin. So a lot of teams had good weeks, and we will get to you in the preview of going forward. So don't don't stress. We'll get to you. We There was a lot to talk about today, even though it was only a few games. All right, we like to hand out the Heisman every single week. We don't want to wait, which is now the Heisman's going in January. Hello, record book. Hello, small sample Heisman. How about that? They push back the Heisman. You see this? I don't even know. Yes. It's virtual. Yeah. A virtual. They will have the ceremony virtually rewarded from the ESPN studios in Bristol. So that's just on January 5th or something. <laughs> okay. Can't even do that. Zoom meeting. We, I can't wait for the college football playoff to go to Zoom meeting because they're, they're Dan Wolken of USA wrote this whole column ripping the committee for flying. <laughs> I'm not really sure it's a big issue, but it's just. No, I, I couldn't work up that much outrage. No, nah, I mean, if you want to do it, go ahead. But it is the stupidity of the committee. Anyway, here we are. Uh, small sample Heisman. Who won your Heisman this week, Pete? I'm going to Huntington, West Virginia, a, a somber scene there this weekend, obviously the 50th anniversary of the plane crash that killed 75 people tied to the Marshall football program. Uh, they had 70, uh, they had 75 on their helmets on, on one side of their helmets to, uh, to remember that one of the great tragedies in the, in the history of sport. I'm going to give my small sample to Grant Wells, the really talented redshirt freshman quarterback for Marshall. Marshall is seven and zero, kind of quietly seven and zero. Grant Wells, 16 TDs, four interceptions. Uh, Doc Holliday told me Saturday night, like we feel like because of Grant Wells, we can play with anyone in the country. All right, I am going to go small sample Heisman, uh, another undefeated team that maybe could get a little more love. Cincinnati and their quarterback Desmond Ritter. From Louisville, Kentucky, St. Xavier High School, same school that my sons went to. He has really upped his game in recent weeks, and on Friday night, he shredded East Carolina 24-31 for 327 yards, three touchdowns, no interceptions, and yet again, he ran the ball really well as well. Eight carries, 75 yards, and a touchdown. He's run for nine scores. He has passed for 14 and he's given some juice to that team. That is not just a defensive team right now. They're playing very well offensively, too. So Desmond Ritter, small sample Heisman. All right, I'm going to give my small sample Heisman to Iowa running back Tyler Goodson. You know, 142 yards, two touchdowns. The Hawkeyes romped Minnesota 35-7 uh, to seven and to uh, keep possession of the Floyd of Rosedale. Rosedale trophy. Six straight years for the uh, 
for the Hawkeyes. Uh, sophomore from uh, Swanee, Georgia. It's a tough runner. But I think he represents an Iowa program that is just being the Iowa program. Tumultuous offseason, all sorts of issues. They start 0-2, two tough losses to Purdue and Northwestern, really close. And you think, geez, maybe Iowa's cracking. And we've seen it in the rest, all over the country, right? COVID excuse, all sorts of reasons for the, they never crack. Death taxes on the Hawkeyes are pretty good in the Big Ten West. Uh, they're now two and two. Yes, they blew out Michigan State and Minnesota, but uh, I think it's just a sign of, of Kirk Ferentz's program. Never really can fade, and they've got a chance to still have a very good season. So I'm giving the Heisman Trophy to, uh, to Tyler uh, on behalf of his whole team, which didn't uh, point fingers, didn't give up, uh, and showed a lot more heart than a lot, of, a lot of other programs in the Big Ten that we've already mentioned. All right, we said a lot of mean things. We fired a few guys. We I don't know whatever we did. Trashed all sorts of people. Can we say something nice? Pat Forty, can you say something nice on this podcast? I can. I want to say something nice about Western Michigan. Back on Wednesday night, the action was incredible. Uh, they were playing Toledo. They're behind by three, and Toledo is driving, and Toledo gets a, an atrocious spot to their advantage on a fourth and 11. Guy gets tackled out of bounds. He bends the fourth first down marker, and I don't know whether that contributed to it or not, but they spot it as a first down. It was not a first down. Should have been Western Michigan ball. They score on the next play. They're up 10 with 2.54 to go. I turn off the TV. I'm disillusioned. I feel bad for the Broncos. They have been wronged, and they're not going to win. Uh, but no, Caleb Ellaby, the quarterback, leads the wild comeback. They go down, they score with 45 seconds left to make it 38-34. Then they onside kick. They get it back. Caleb Ellaby drives him down again. He's going to spike the ball on the nine-yard line, but it's a fake spike. He throws the touchdown to Jalen Hall for the win. Awesome job. Way to overcome adversity. Western Michigan saying something nice. I am going to say something nice about the Tulsa football program, and I'm going to say something mean about myself. Tulsa, after week one, when they played at Oklahoma State and had approximately 67 pre-snap penalties in that game, uh, I said it was coaching malpractice by Philip Montgomery. Now, very quietly since that 16-7 loss in Stillwater, Tulsa has not lost a game. They won at UCF. They won at USF. They eked out a win over East Carolina, aided and embedded by terrible officiating. And then they came back this weekend and beat SMU. So Tulsa probably should be ranked right now. And Tulsa is the biggest obstacle to Cincinnati going undefeated. So uh, Phil Montgomery was once four or five years ago, the hottest coach in the country he had Tulsa rolling. They dipped precipitously. It's really hard to microwave a program back. He has clearly done that. They are, uh, they are four and one overall four and oh in the AAC. And, uh, they are going to be a factor in the national conversation coming down the stretch. All right. I want to say something nice about Scott Nelson, the, uh, defensive back for Wisconsin. He's from Metro Detroit played at the university of Detroit prep was a football star there. Went to Wisconsin. They came back, obviously, uh, beat Michigan soundly. Uh, he has an interception. Great day for any kid to come back to their home state and beat a team like that. But on the sideline late in the game, uh, he made uh, a little gesture and talked to the camera uh, saying, uh, love you, Smoothie, who's a, a kid named Zachary Winston, who is the brother of Cassius Winston, uh, who committed suicide 
uh, last year and is a, a kind of a incident that really uh, rocked the state of Michigan, particularly in the, in the city of Detroit, in the Detroit area. Cash is so beloved. The Winston family is so beloved. Uh, Nelson uh, played, they all went to U of D together and was great friends with both of the Winstons. I thought it was a really, really nice gesture that he was in his thoughts and brought that up. Uh, and I think it meant a lot, I'm sure, to the uh, to the Winston family, to the Nelsons and that whole community in Detroit and the Catholic League of Detroit uh, to have that done. I thought it was a really nice gesture to think of a kid who in the middle of what's got to be a, a, a dream night for, for somebody uh, was still thinking of a friend of his who, who, who didn't quite make it. So uh, congratulations to Scott Nelson for doing that on the sidelines last night. Thought that was a great moment. One of those great moments in college football where, you know, this is still such a community sport and location matters and relationships matter and all of that. So uh, good on Scott Nelson and uh, good luck for Cassius Winston getting drafted this week and all that. And uh, still sad that uh, Zachary Smoothie Winston is, is, is no longer with uh, his friends and his family. All right. We'll be back on Wednesday to preview next week, uh, get to more issues. And, uh, boy, in a week where a lot of games got canceled, so I had a lot to talk about. Appreciate you. Keep subscribing, leaving us nice reviews, sharing us on social media, sending us chicken sandwich information. We appreciate all of you. Talk to you then.